What's up, everyone? Just say thank you for tuning in today. If you enjoy the show, enjoy the content, just please make sure to rate, subscribe, and follow the page on Instagram at Overcoming the Divide. Thank you. What's up, everyone? Today we have on a spectacular guest, Michael Barone. Before diving into the discussion today, allow me to introduce you to the audience. So for everyone listening today, Michael Barone was a senior analyst for U.S. News and World Report for almost two decades, was a former contributor for Fox News commenting on U.S. elections, as well as the political trends in the country. He is a political analyst, excuse me, for the Washington Examiner. And most famously, Michael Barone is the principal author of the Albanac of American Politics, which is a comprehensive reference work that focuses on Congress and state politics. Once again, thank you for being here today, Michael Barone. Well, it's very nice to be with you, and I uh, continue to be a senior political analyst at uh, the Washington Examiner and uh, the first edition of the Almanac of American Politics, of which I was the principal co-author, came out in November 1971, which is 50 years and three months ago. So I've been doing this political commentary and talk for some period of time. Yeah. Pierce, so. But um, to jump right into things today, uh, how do you think the midterms will play out for both parties in this upcoming election? Well, absent some big change in public opinion, uh, like we saw after uh, the attacks of September 11, 2001, when President George W. Bush's job rating went much, much higher than it had been before. Um, absent some major change of opinion, I think it's going to be bad news for the Democratic Party. They hold margins in both the House and the Senate by historically narrow margins. They've got a 50-50 break in the Senate, which Vice President Kamala Harris can break ties in favor of the Democratic Party or its positions. Um, They've got an advantage in the House uh, when all the seats are filled of uh, 213 to 222. That's a pretty narrow margin. It's actually just one seat better than what um, George W. Bush's Republicans had in the period of uh, 2001. So in that case, the Republican Party, Bush's party, increased its showing in the off-year election. The Democratic Party, I think, is unlikely to do that. Historically, The party that doesn't hold the White House tends to lose seats in the House and state legislatures, uh, usually in the Senate. Uh, Part of the reason is that the uh, president's party is uh, associated with all the positions that the president has taken, which may be unpopular in some areas, which may not be as popular as the president was when he was elected uh, and got a majority of the electoral votes. The the opposition party can choose its ground so that they campaign. We see the Republican Party, for example, can campaign against the Democrats for wanting to uh, extend the state and local tax deduction, which helps high income people in heavily Democratic states with high tax rates. Um, and but the Republicans in New York and New Jersey in those high tax states can campaign on the other side of the issue. Uh, Democrats are tend to be stuck with one position on this issue, uh, which isn't popular in large parts of the country, uh, and which will tend to hurt their candidates in that uh, in those areas. So that's a structural factor that works for the party that doesn't have the White House. Noted. So. In terms of campaigning and Republicans, 
what do you think about Mitch McConnell's comments on running a policy-free midterm campaign for Republicans that he... Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't seen uh, Senator McConnell's exact comments on a policy-free campaign. Uh, you know, one of the problems that a party that doesn't have the White House is has is that it doesn't necessarily have a united uh, stance in this country, which has always been an ethnically, racially, economically, culturally diverse country back from its colonial beginnings. Um, the, the, the political party out of power can take diverse stands in different states, congressional districts. Uh, and I suppose that's what Senator McConnell was referring to. Um, when it comes down to a presidential election, then a party has to put forward uh, more in the nature of a single platform. Right now, when you look at polling, you see that President Biden's policies on a wide variety of issues uh, are negative. You see a sense that inflation, immigration, perhaps in foreign policy uh, and in COVID control are running out of control. That hurts an incumbent presidential party, uh, particularly when that party has majorities, even very thin ones, in both houses of Congress. Um, mm-hmm. So, the, the, you know, the position of the uh, opposition party in many ways in that situation is just to say, hey, um, everything's terrible. The incumbent's done an awful job. Uh, vote for the other side. Uh, we'll give you our specific issue positions later. Um, that helps in elections it may not help them in the long term. Yes, so that is um, the McConnell's comments I just referred to were from a report from NBC News that was earlier today. So I'm not surprised that it's not really made its way through the stream quite yet. But in terms of um, challenges in long term, what challenges do you think the Republicans are gonna have to overcome in terms, if any, to really do successful in these midterm elections? Well, you know, right now- mm -hmm. Right now, you can say the structural factors are working for them, so they just need to put candidates' names on the ballots. Um, that's an oversimplified uh, uh, version and an exaggerated version. Um, they don't have to do a whole lot of things uh, to have a successful time, and they seem to be doing a good job of recruiting candidates. Uh, for the most part, uh, they're uh, you know the, the candidate, the candidates that they have in marginal districts seem to do pretty well. The one exception being uh, Congressman John Katko of Syracuse area, New York, upstate New York, decided to retire. He's one of the few members of the Republican or the Democratic Party who has consistently run ahead of his party's presidential candidates. So that hurts the Republicans in at least one seat. Um, but basically, they're in they're in pretty good shape. Um, One of the problems they face is uh, dealing with President Trump. On the one hand, uh, you have uh, President Trump who was, you know, came within 42,000 popular votes uh, of winning the election. If he had gotten that many more votes, he would have had an electoral vote majority. Um, But he's also been making some statements which Uh, I think are a real problem for many Republican candidates, his statement that he would consider pardons for the uh, people charged in the January 6th assault on the Capitol uh, is going to strike many people, uh, including some Republican voters, um, is is a a negative statement and something they don't like to see. Uh, In a larger sense, you see Mr. Trump really focused very much on refighting the 2020 presidential election which as I say, he came quite close to winning, though not close to a popular vote plurality. Um, 
Voters are more interested in the future than the past. They're more interested in the present than the past. Refighting a past presidential election is, in my judgment, not a good uh, strategy for a party to hold. Um, you can see data from polls where you ask uh, Republican-inclined voters, are you uh, more for the Republican Party or are you more for par President Trump? Um, when Trump was president, uh, the plurality favored the President Trump option to that question. More recently, we've seen a significant plurality or majority of Republican leading voters saying, um, taking the Republican Party alternative. Um, but uh, President Trump is still capable of making news. And of course, um, you know, the liberal oriented ca uh, cable news channels, MSNBC and CNN, are going to put on any statement of President Trump's that hurts, in their view, the Republican Party. Uh, they made a lot of money covering President Trump extensively for a viewing audience, which in each of those cases has been very strongly anti-Trump, um, highlighting the neg things that struck many voters negatively about what he was saying. Uh, and I would expect them to do the same thing again. So that's one problem that the Republican Party faces. Now, um, talking about the major mainstream outlets that will cover anything Trump says in a negative lens or just probably can do it on his own. But point being is, do you think that Trump actually being off Twitter and social media platforms has done him a favor in terms of public opinion? Because as you recently mentioned, that people are focused on the present and the future, not the past. And since they haven't really heard much from him overall in the past, say, six, 12 months, yeah, about a year now, or everyone's mind not really might not be on his previous comments and his like inflammatory rhetoric. Well, you know, he's uh, he's not as much of a focus of the news as he was when he was president, which uh, makes a certain amount of sense. The president makes important decisions, sets policy uh, and so forth. Um, he um, mm -hmm. and uh, as I say, he's he's taken a sort of negative approach to the past where he's focusing on the 2020 presidential election and what he alleges were irregularities or a stolen election, which is something that's not convincing to most voters. Um, he is, uh, spends less time on uh, what are arguably real achievements. Uh, the Operation Warp Speed uh, policies that were followed by his administration resulted in record um, time uh, development of vaccines uh, against the thing, against the COVID. And uh, he also had an accelerated program for uh, doing antibodies and monoclonal antibodies. I'm perhaps misstating the names of, the, of those, uh, those, those formulas, which was abandoned by the Biden administration. I haven't heard Mr. Trump talking very much about that. But um, so he's less of a focus. Um, he can get attention uh, much more than anybody else can. Um, I'm hard pressed to think of uh, examples from the past that would uh, that would uh, be illustrative of what a former president does when he returns, uh, when he runs for office. Uh, you had President Grover Cleveland defeated for re-election in 1888. He comes through and wins re-election the second non-consecutive term in 1892. I've been around for a long time, but I wasn't around for the fights between Grover Cleveland and Benjamin Harrison. So you're going to have to find another guest to opine on those subjects. I see. I see. Um, overall, do you still believe um, that Trump has a pretty 
firm grip on the Republican um, Party, at least their voters. And now you previously mentioned it's not as strong as before, especially in uh, white males who do not have a college degree. But nonetheless, um, it's still maybe not a majority, but I believe the poll numbers are around 45 percent of them. Well, I think President Trump's uh, grip on Republican voters, on voters who voted for him in the past, who voted Republicans, is weakening. I think we can see that in poll results, um, but it's still a considerable force. And he you know, presents himself as somebody that uh, might very well be interested in running for another term. I think one of the things that may weaken that grip also is the fact of age. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, President Trump was born in 1946, as were Presidents Bill Clinton and George W. Bush. President Biden was born in 1942. Um, Many observers think that President Biden's uh, powers have diminished somewhat uh, from his peak years um, in his 50s and 60s. Um, He's now 79 years old, and he will be over 80 if he seeks re-election in 2024. Um, But President Trump uh, will be the same age if he runs in 2024 that President Biden was in 2020. And I think you may see uh, emerging uh, a younger candidate who takes some of the positions, but not all, that President Trump has taken, which are different from those of previous Republican nominees, a candidate like Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, mm-hmm. perhaps, a candidate like Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas, to name two who have not run for president previously, and there's several who all who have, um, and uh, who will be much more in the prime of life physically and in terms of full possession of his powers uh, than President Trump may be thought to be, may seem to be, uh, when he runs, if he runs in 2024, when he'll be the same age President Biden was in 2020. So Biden's uh, seems to be weakening his uh, his hold on things and his ability to do the president's job. I think that may undercut a Trump candidacy in 2024, uh, just as it would tend to undercut a Biden candidacy for re-election. Uh, going off that real fast, just purely as speculation, if Biden did not run in 2024, who do you think would get the nom- uh, nomination for the Democratic Party? Well, that's a little hard to say. I mean, yeah, Demo- it is. You know, the Democratic Party had a bunch of candidates in 2020 um, against President Biden, who seemed to be pretty strong. And then when President Biden won that South Carolina primary after promising to nominate a black woman for the uh, a vacancy in the Supreme Court, a promise that he seems to be inclined to keep and in, in the weeks ahead, um, the, uh, the the support for those other candidates kind of disappeared. Uh, I mean, Vice President Kamala Harris uh, obviously could be a candidate if President Biden should no longer uh, be president. She would be president. Um, but uh, her showing among the voters right now has been very weak. And uh, it's not clear that she would be the strongest possible nominee the Democratic Party could have. So um, I think I think the Democratic Party would have a little trouble uh, filling that uh, void. Mm-hmm. I've seen a few notes that uh, former Senator Hillary Clinton is interested in uh, possibly running again. Uh, she was born in 1947, which makes her a year younger than Donald Trump. Um, but when you look at her poll numbers today, you don't see a lot of encouragement uh, for a uh, pres- another presidential candidacy on her part. So a lot of fluctuation we're going to see in the next 
three, four years coming up in terms of the Senate and House and as well as the White House, possibly. Yeah, well, basically, one of the things that I've noticed is that uh, we are, have been since 1994 in a period of very close competition uh, between the two parties, polarized partisan parity. We've seen more straight ticket voting. We've seen more, less changes in voting. There have been some changes in the electorate, but we've seen a slow movement accelerated by the Trump candidacy of blue collar, uh, non-college grad whites towards the Republican party and of college graduate whites towards the Democratic party. Um, that's mostly been a glacial movement um, and the numbers didn't change a lot in those regards between 2016 and 2020. Um, but the, basically uh, we've seen straight ticket voting. And one of the things, effects of that on policy is to discourage bipartisan uh, compromises. You got those back in the days when it seemed like the Republicans had a hold on the White House for 20 out of 24 years, where the Democrats seemed to have an eternal hold on majorities in Congress. They held a majority in the House of Representatives for 40 years, unprecedented in American history. And so uh, people felt, well, if we ever want to get anything done, we got to have comp uh, 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 compromise between the parties because uh, each one of them is locked into control of one institution. Now with close competition, we see situations where each party has the potential for a trifecta for uh, control of the White House and for majorities in the Senate and the House. We saw Republicans get that in 2001 and two th after the 2001 and 2004 presidential elections. We saw, and after the 2016 election, we saw Democrats get it after the 2008 and two 2020 elections. Uh, and so the, both parties have an incentive to say, hey, we're not going to compromise with these other guys and their terrible ideas. We are going to pat. We are going to wait because the next election we got a real chance to get all three to get the trifecta. And when we do, we're going to go with our policies. Um, well, that's you know proved problematic in some cases. President Bush after 2004 didn't get the Social Security reforms that he wanted from a trifecta. President Biden did not get after 20 the narrow 2020. Um, Democratic wins in the both houses of Congress has not gotten the um, building back better mm -hmm. uh, be, uh, majority that he wanted. Um, and uh, so trifectas don't always produce uh, what you want, but sometimes they do. We had Obamacare. We had the Bush uh, tax cuts and education policy, which was bipartisan 2001, 2002. So those things uh, did work for a while, and there's a disincentive for either party to compromise. You got a bunch of old timers like me saying, boy, wouldn't it be nice if they all got together and had a drink of scotch after dinner, uh, even though we've had teetotalers as three of our four, uh, as, as, as recent presidents, President Biden, President Trump do not drink alcoholic beverages, President Bush, uh, George W. Bush did not. Presidents Clinton and Obama uh, were very light drinkers. Uh, you know, they take a sip of wine, probably wouldn't finish it up at their ceremonial dinners. So the idea of sitting over a bunch of bourbon and branch water is probably uh, not a good, uh, not a good fit when yeah. you got presidents who don't drink alcohol. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we haven't seen those days come back. We may see action in some areas, uh, rewriting of the Electoral uh, Counting Act with 1888 mm -hmm. legislation 
1887, a legislation that uh, uh, led to some controversy and was badly written. There's some bipartisan work on the Senate now, but uh, that's that's one of the perils. Uh, you know, all these folks that say, boy, wouldn't it be great if they were bipartisan? Uh, isn't it great that they have close electoral competition? Well, turns out when you have close electoral competition, you don't get a lot of bipartisan legislation. Yeah, it appears um, that over the last few elections that each party, if they're not in the White House or not in the position of power, they kind of run a platform, but we're not them. We're us. And they don't really, like the Democrats, we're all united behind getting Trump out of the White House, whether that be with impeachment for that effort or in terms of running on the election, like their stances, get him out. But when it comes down to them now having all, um, as you put it, the trifecta, House, Senate, and the White House, yeah, they don't, they don't do much with it. They can't agree on it because you have um, the progressives. Well, one of the points that I made earlier is that we live in a country that's always been diverse. You know, you hear people say, oh, we're suddenly diverse. We've just been a white bread country for years and years. The answer is we've always been diverse. And that goes back a very long time. It goes back to the British colonies, North American colonies that declared their independence in July 1776. Uh, It's why we have a constitution that says there'll be no religious test for office and that uh, we will never have have a a established church in this country because the founders were familiar. They had a whole bunch of churches and they had, they they said, you know, if we have a, want to unite this country, we can't just say that uh, one church is going to be preeminent. We'll get tax money uh, and everybody else has to pay money into it. Uh, That was the situation in Britain at that time. Uh, They said, no, we're not going to do that. So we've always had a diverse country and holding together a party capable of winning 50% of the popular vote or 50% of the electoral votes in a diverse country is hard because you're going to have people that come from different parts of the country whose crucial electoral groups are different parts of the demographic variety of the country, who have different uh, beliefs that come back from many cases, long historic roots or deeply held personal beliefs um, that are not going to change easily. So it's hard to get unanimity in a country like this, although we do get it in things like after the September 11th attacks. Um, It's hard to get unanimity within a party. Uh, Mm -hmm. on that, because uh, in order to win a majority in the Senate, you have to elect Senator Manchin in West Virginia, where, um, you know, Trump got something like 70% of the votes. So he's got an political incentive, even apart from his personal beliefs, uh, to not support many of the things that other Democrats support. So with that, let me conclude and say thank you for uh, asking me uh, my opinions. Of course. Thank you for being here today, Michael Barone. I really appreciate it. I think the audience will as well. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Take care. Bye-bye.